Wait, stay standing. I caught you. Sorry, I should have said that already. Um, let's let's uh, be a family and pray. Grab a hand, would you please? God, we give this time to you today. We have come to worship you because you alone are worthy. We've come to proclaim your name, not just to this place, but to the world. Again, you are our God. God, we came for many reasons. Most of us, hopefully, we came because we want to join with our family to praise you. Some have come today, God, because they're desperately searching, because they're hurting. We don't know what the issues are, but you do. And we just pray for your peace, for the power of your spirit, the presence of your peace to descend upon this place, to fill us. Even, God, someone who, as I said, fill us, was thinking to themselves, there's no way I'm ever going to get filled because I'm so desperately lost. God, if I were honest, I would say, I have been lost. And you're the one that knows how to find me. You found me through Jesus. Help us today, God, to honor your son, Jesus, as we glorify you in this time, I pray in Jesus' holy name. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Go ahead and be seated. So this uh, series is called, Who's Your Shepherd? And uh, Who's Your Shepherd? The idea behind Who's Your Shepherd is that it's a question that everybody needs to be able to answer. Who is leading your life? Who's your shepherd? And so as we kick this uh, off again today, one of the things that we've done, we did with our worship team is we said, okay, let's do a little bit of a twist. And every week we're going to read the Lord's Prayer in a different translation or a different version. Uh, Some of you seated out here today uh, would say that the only way to ever hear the Lord's Prayer is the King James translation. Can I get an amen for some of you? Right? Because there are some of us here like that. There are others that have different translations. Uh, The point of this exercise of reading the Lord's Prayer in a different, or not the Lord's Prayer, the 23rd Psalm. That's the wrong message, right? Uh, The the point of reading the 23rd Psalm in different translations is is to... to shake up our minds a little bit and begin to recognize that, 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 that just because we see God one particular way doesn't mean that somebody else might see God a different way and we hear things differently. So I want to encourage you to, to hang with us as each week we read it in a different translation. So uh, let's join together in reading the Lord's Prayer. This is from the paraphrase, the message, okay? God, join with me. God, my shepherd, I don't need a thing. You have bedded me down in lush meadows. You find me quiet pools to drink from. True to your word, let you catch my breath and send me in the right direction. Even when the way goes through Death Valley, I'm not afraid when you walk at my side. Your trusty shepherd's crook makes me feel secure. You serve me a six-course dinner right in front of my enemies. You receive my dropping head, my cup brims with blessings, if somebody could read. Your beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. 
I'm back home in the house of God for the rest of my life. Amen. Yeah, I couldn't even read it because I'm used to it a different way too, right? So who's your shepherd? Who is your shepherd? Who is leading your life? And uh, part of, one of the ways that I want to try to get at that this morning is to maybe think about it a little bit differently. And that is to ask you, uh, if you believe that you are the smartest person on the planet, would you raise your hands right now? Okay, we got one taker back here, all right? One brave soul, right? Okay. All right, and maybe not, right? How about uh, if, you are the, if you have the highest emotional intelligence of everybody, anybody in this room, raise your hand right now. Okay, no takers on that one. All right, let me, maybe let's do a little bit easier question. How many of you make mistakes? Oh, hold them up. I want to see who's not got their hand up. Because I... <laughs> You, you could probably go ahead and go if you don't make a mistake. Everybody makes mistakes, and that's the point that I'm trying to get to. If you make a mistake, the mistake has to do with the, the fact that you're not following the right shepherd when you make those mistakes. And that's really what I want you to think about today is following the right shepherd and about how important it is for us in this crazy world that we live in. We're going to be looking at, as we did last week, the 23rd Psalm. We're taking it apart verse by verse each week. And uh, what we find in David's famous, most famous psalm is, is an antidote or the answers, if you will, to the burden of stress that we carry in our lives every single day. Because everybody here has places where they are stressed. And so each week we're going to be talking about a different phase or way that we get stressed. Last week I talked to you about worry. Today I want to talk to you about busyness. How many of you wrestle with busyness? Any takers? Yeah. Busyness is a, a part of our world. I uh, wonder if, like me, if you wonder if the world in which we live today uh, places such a high value on people that are busy, uh, because in our society, it seems to me, let me ask you, it seems to me, would you agree that, that in America, the, the busier you are, the, the, the more people are inclined to think that you're an important person? And some of us aspire to be as busy as we can because it makes us feel like, we're man, we're really important because we're so busy. Have you ever had the opportunity to say to somebody, oh, I can't talk to you right now? And how does that feel when someone says, I can't talk to you right now? In other words, I'm so busy, I don't have time for you right now. How does that feel in your life, in your world? David gives us these prescriptions for how we deal with the stresses of our lives. And one of the things that I know about stress is that everybody here deals with it. Everybody here wrestles with it. Are you wrestling with it today? A CNN poll says that 60%, over 60% of Americans readily admit that they wish they had less busyness in their lives. Over 60% of Americans. A Harris poll, when it, when it uh, evaluated and asked questions of Americans said that, that when they observe the habits of Americans this, in this Harris poll, Americans readily admit that they have eight and a half less hours of leisure time every week than they did 10 years ago. Think about that. Eight and a half less hours of leisure time in a week than 10 years ago. The New York Times says that stress is one of the leading causes of businesses losing money. And last year, in a New York Times article, it, they stated that around the world, 
there were $63 billion of loss to corporations because of sleep deprivation, because people were not taking care of their needs. They were not stopping. So David has these words for us to reflect upon about this idea of busyness. I want to invite you to read this second verse of Psalm 23 with me. I'll see if I can get it right this time. All right, join with me. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. A life filled with busyness is not the kind of life that God wants us to live. Now, most, if not all of you, have already heard about some of the challenges that I've faced in the last couple of months. I went from being in a fairly fast-paced mode, if you will, constantly on the go, uh, and, and after my radiation and the subsequent challenges that I had and the subsequent surgery that I had, I went from a fairly fast-paced life to everything coming to a screeching halt. In fact, I would say that the screeching halt was so dramatic that I went from a fast-paced life to pretty much being in bed for almost two months. And one of the things that I observed from my bed as I reflected on my life was that that there are a lot of things that I was doing with my day that I thought were really important, but when when I'm not doing them, I have to reflect on them and wonder whether or not that is really that important at all. I'm in the process of reevaluating all of my life. In this situation that I've been, God has done a fruit basket turnover kind of a thing for me. You you understand what that means, right? You take a a basket of fruit and you dump it all out, and it kind of goes out and it's chaotic. And that's where I'm living right now because God is reordering my life, restructuring kind of what I do and where I go and, and who I'm about. It's a big change for me. In Psalm 127.2, David said, It is useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat. For God gives rest to his loved ones. A different translation, the NIV, is a little bit more in your face on this passage. It says, In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. And that means that if you're not sleeping well, that God does not love you. Okay? A little bit of humor there. Uh, David, what David is trying to say is, look, the reason that you're likely not sleeping is because you've got anxiety that is built up because you're trying to control your life. Your busyness has invaded your quiet, invaded your rest. And, and David is saying, you're losing sleep because you've got the wrong shepherd leading your life. We like in our society to talk about how someone is burning the candle at both ends. And one of the things that I would say is that that burning the candle at both ends is probably not the brightest, sharpest thing that we could do. Because we understand that if you burn it at both ends, it's just going to burn out much faster. And many of us deal with burnout from time to time. Sometimes people think, uh, or they resist, Uh, This idea of God and giving their lives to God, giving their lives to the person of Jesus Christ. Sometimes people resist it because they think that God's going to make all these demands of me, and I've got enough demands in my life as it is. I can't get any busier than I am already. Psalm 23 says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. If you were a sheep, you would understand that this picture that David paints is a picture of paradise, really. 
because for a sheep, a, a, a nice pasture and water is pretty much all they need. That's kind of all they need to take care of themselves. And, and a shepherd understands that the, the feeding and the water are critical to the life of the sheep. Don't make any mistake about it. If, if a lamb is going to have the right wool, if it's going to be healthy wool that can be used and productive, uh, the shepherd knows that that sheep has got to get the right rest. It's got to be able to sleep properly. God is interested in our rest and our recreation. A shepherd understands that not only will the wool be healthy if the sheep is, is well rested, but if you're raising a, a sheep for food, you better make sure that it gets plenty of rest because it's not going to eat well if it doesn't rest. And if it doesn't eat well, it's not going to get big. It's not going to produce what you would hope it would produce if you were going to take that lamb for food. If you really, if you really honestly were to give your life to Jesus Christ today, you need to understand that God is, is, is not asking you to, to, to put more on your back, to put more on your plate. In fact, the absolute opposite is true. That a relationship with God is about being released from the burdens of life. And part of that burden is, has to do with our busyness. David says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. So I want to talk to you for the next few moments about a prescription for busyness. We're going to use the word rest as an acronym. And, and the R stands for realize my worth. That if we're really going to rest, if we're going to, if we're going to fight back against busyness, we have to first of all realize our worth. Most people uh, get confused. Most people who overwork are confused because they're, they're putting their value on their work, not on their worth. We think that if we work a whole lot, if we achieve a whole lot, that we're worth a lot. We confuse what we do with who we are. You think about this. Think about it this way. Uh, would you agree with me that in America we get our primary identity from what we do? Here's a way to illustrate that. If you were to meet somebody new, uh, you would put out your hand and you say, Hi, my name is Frank. And Bobby would say, My name is Bobby. And, and, and that would be the first question that we would ask, What's your name? But what would be the second question that you would ask, more than likely? Huh? What do you do? We want to know what you do. As though if I learn about what you do, I'll learn about how important you are. We think that in the society that we live in. Some of us in this room grew up hearing from a parent or maybe another loved one uh, making a prescription over them saying, you're never going to amount to anything. There are people in this room right now that had parents like that or a family member like that. You'll never amount to anyone. You, you're never going to amount to much. And then when you get a little bit older and you finally get the chance to work, what you do is then you overcompensate you try to work so hard because you want to prove that that person was wrong. Face it, you can't prove your worth by overworking. The antidote to worth is to hear what God says about you. Listen to what God says about you. In James 1, verse 18, it says, He chose to give birth to us by giving us His true word. And we, out of all creation, became His prized possession. Hear this. He, it says out of all creation, that, that he, gave, he chose to give us birth and, and that you became his prized possession. You, the prized possession of God. And I want you to say it with me. I want you to say, I'm the prized possession of God. Say it. 
I am the prized possession of God. Now I want you to own it. Don't just mimic it because I said it. Say it like you mean it, like this God that we love, that you are his prized possession. I am the prized possession of God. You are the prized possession of God. God says you you matter more than anything else in all of creation. Think about all of creation. Think about the magnitude of creation, about how big everything is, this universe in which we live. And to hear our God say that you are more important than anything in all of creation. God says, go ahead. You can relax. You don't have to prove yourself to anybody. You see, if God likes me and I like me, then if you don't like me, it doesn't really matter. Right? We need to quit spending our time trying to win the approval of other people. And as I've said many times before, this happens to be an area that I have struggled in. This happens to be a place where I personally have struggled because I like people to be happy. I want everybody to be happy. I want to take care of everybody, but it just ain't going to happen. And I, as I have aged, have begun to learn the wisdom of being happy and restful in simply my relationship with God and trusting that if if there's chaos or confrontation or challenges around me, that that is not about my worth That is simply an issue that I need to work through. My worth comes from my God through His Son, Jesus Christ. We need to realize how valuable we are to God. In Matthew 6, verse 26, Jesus said, Look at the birds of the sky. They don't sow seed or harvest grain or gather crops into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth much more than they are? Hear that. Aren't you worth much more than they are. We will never understand how much God loves us uh, this lifetime. And there's nothing that you or I can do that will actually make God love me more or love me less. Do you get that about God? That God is, is, is abundantly pouring his love out upon us and there's nothing that you or I can do to make God love us more or less. He's gone all out to show his love to us right from the very beginning when he sent Jesus to die on the cross. So realize your worth. The E of rest stands for enjoy what I already have. Sometimes, do you feel like you're the gerbil in the cage running on the wheel? Ever feel like that? And that running on the wheel has very often to do with wanting to achieve even more. If I can just work a little bit more, then we can get that boat. If I can just do a little bit more, then we can add on to the house. If I can just get a little bit more money in, then then all these things that can be done, we need to learn to enjoy what we already have. Chris and I are are working towards having a a garage sale uh, in in probably another month or two. And uh, one of the things that we have become aware of is that we've got a lot of stuff in our house that really amounts to nothing. Now, we're going to sell it, and it's going to amount to something then, right? But, but it's all this stuff, and, and our society is so infatuated with stuff, we just got to have more stuff. We need to learn to enjoy what we already have. Ecclesiastes 3, the wisdom of Solomon, verse 13, says, Moreover, this is the gift of God, that all people should eat, drink, and enjoy the results of their hard work. It's, it's, it's 
Solomon's way of saying, look, God gave you this life as a gift. Don't be so burdened by all the stuff, by all the pursuits, that you don't take time to, to just relish life with one another, sharing a meal with a friend, sharing a meal with a family. Those are priceless things that we need to learn to enjoy. We have a nice home, or we may have a nice car, we may have a nice boat, but, but how, how much are you able to really enjoy those things? And you can't enjoy them because you're out chasing to get more dollars. We have this desire to acquire syndrome in our society today. You know, the whole keeping up with the Joneses idea. Well, they got a boat. Well, I got to get a boat. They got a car. I got to get a car. Who says you got to do those things? Just because everyone else is caught up in business doesn't mean that we should too. I remember when I was younger, there were a few times where I got into trouble in my life because I was hanging out with the wrong kind of people. And I got into some pretty good trouble on a couple of occasions because I just followed the lead of somebody else in my little band, little group of friends. And, and after, in the aftermath of that, my mom was always looking for the teaching moment in things, Right. And, and mom, mom, after she would say, you know, I, I, I'm so disappointed in you. I can't believe you would do this. And, she, and, I, and my response would be, well, I was just following Danny's lead. And, and she would look at me like incredulous. And I know she wanted to do this a bunch to me, you know, just to thump me in the head. But she said, well, if Danny wanted to jump off a cliff, would you jump off the cliff with him too? I, I'm sure you've heard that said to you at times in the past. Just because somebody else is doing it doesn't mean that we should too. Sheep, uh, interestingly enough, uh, have this flock mentality. And some of the more aggressive sheep in a flock are in the business of being allowed by the shepherd to kind of lead if the flock is moving to a new pasture. Now you get this image. You've got maybe a little bit more aggressive sheep that are out in front. The shepherd has placed them there because that, the shepherd knows that that sheep knows that they're supposed to go to that green and then everybody else will follow. The shepherd stays back to try to make sure that the stragglers don't get lost in the shuffle. There is a, a documented case in 2006 in Turkey where a shepherd was leading his flock to a new pasture. And the, one of the sheep that were in the lead uh, decided that they would take a little bit of a shortcut. And there was a, there was a, a ravine that was coming up. And it didn't look like it was a very far jump to get across to the other side. So the lead sheep tried to jump and didn't make it and fell the 50 feet down the ravine and died. And part of what is so tragic about this story is that there were 400 sheep that followed that sheep into the ravine and died that day simply because they were following the leader. They were doing what somebody else did and it led to their destruction. Enjoy what you already have. Quit being obsessed with wanting more, getting more all the time. Solomon in his wisdom in chapter 4, verse 6 says, But better is resting with one handful than working hard for two fistfuls chasing after the wind. Solomon gives this image of, of a person that, that's got a handful of stuff but they've got a hand free so they can feed themselves and take care of themselves and live. But, but a person who's got two hands filled is chasing after the wind. It's a futile attempt for more. The S of rest is for stop working. Stop working. I must make a conscious decision to make time for other things besides work. 
I have to decide how many hours I realistically want to spend working each week and stick to it. How about you? Are you actually making conscious decisions about how much you will work and how much you won't work? Are you thinking about that? You know, there are people in this room that are self-employed, and they're some of the most challenged on this issue about stop working because if a self-employed person stops working, they're not getting paid, right? And they get that. So they work, and they work, and they work incessantly. They, they bring work home. They never take time off. It's a liability. It's a challenge, especially for a self-employed person. It's also a similar challenge for a person who is a single parent, if you're a single parent and you're in this room, i got to tell you that, that that's probably the hardest job on the planet is to be a single parent. And, and part of what I want to encourage you about today, if you are a single parent, is to say you need to make sure that you're doing your best to try to carve out some time for yourself to stop the work. Our best requires rest. In, in, in the, the book of Exodus... Uh, you've heard these, about these uh, ten little sayings that, that God gave to Moses, right? We call them the Ten Commandments. Have you heard those? It says in Exodus 20, verse 9 and 10, it says, Six days you may work and do all your tasks, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Do not do any work on it, not you, your sons or daughters, your male or female servants, your animals, or the immigrant who is living with you. That... One commandment is to take a day for rest. You understand? There are ten things that God said. You should do these things. This one about the Sabbath is number four. And oh, by the way, in that list of ten is things like, you know, you shouldn't murder. uh, You shouldn't commit adultery. You know, those kinds of things. And God put this one, taking rest, on par with all those other things. And you might be thinking, well, I'm not a murderer. Uh, I haven't committed adultery. Well, that's great, but... Are you abusing the command to rest? Are you abusing God's command for your life, for your benefit? Hear this. It's not some rule that God's trying to beat us down with. It's trying, God's trying to give us a way to get some rest so we can re, be refurbished. So what do you do on your Sabbath? Well, don't be legalistic about your Sabbath. It doesn't have to be a Sunday. We call that often Sunday's the Sabbath day. Sunday happens to be a day I work, Right? And uh, somebody thinking, yeah, I wish you'd work other days too, Frank, right? But, but you know, I, I, I'm here to work on Sunday, so Sunday is not my Sabbath. Friday is my Sabbath. And on Fridays, I try to not work. I try to take time for me. I try to take time for Chrissy. That's important to do, to get recharged, to give our emotions and our spirit the opportunity to be recharged. And then the last one is T. It's related to this. And T is for time for us. Time for us. If you're working, when are you relaxing? Really relaxing on a weekly basis. When are you taking time for yourself? If you're a stay-at-home parent, when are you taking time for you? In your marriage, when are you taking time for your spouse on a regular basis? In order to reduce busyness in my life, I must change my thinking about what is important. Ecclesiastes 4 4 says, Then I observed all the work and ambition motivated by envy. What a waste. Smoke. And I love this. Eugene Peterson says, And spitting into the wind. That's kind of a futile effort, isn't it? Imagine yourself. The wind is blowing. It's 30-mile-an-hour wind, and you spit into the wind, right? 
How, how's that going to work out for you, right? David is so wonderfully, and Gene Peterson translating, help us think about all this effort and how futile it is about this ambition. There are some things that are more important than getting more. In Mark 8, verse 36, Jesus said, What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Think about that. What good is it for you or I to gain the whole world and yet forfeit our souls? Is it worth it? Ask yourself a question like this. How much of your daily life gets in the way of your relationship with God? Think about it. Give yourself permission to go there a second. How much of your daily life gets in the way of your relationship with God? And then a second question is, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? You may be making great money right now, but are the kids in your home getting the time they need from you in order for them to be the best self that they can be? How about your spouse or your parents or your friends? Time for us means uh, uh, several things. It means time for you and God. Time for us means time for you and you. Just me time. Time for us means about time for my spouse. Time for us means about time for me and my kids or whatever significant other relationships that I've got in my life, taking time, making time for those things. We have to rest, realize my worth, enjoy what I already have, stop working, and time for us. Christy and I were FaceTiming our kids out that live out in Tyler this last week, Nathan and Jessalyn, they have a little two-and-a-half-year-old girl named Ariella who is the most beautiful little girl you've ever seen in your life. Just want to say that, right? And we, we were about 15 minutes into our FaceTime conversation, and Chris and I started giggling, uh, and, and Nathan and Jess go, well, what's, what's funny? We, what's the joke? And we're like, well, we can't believe Ariella because the whole time, from the 15 minutes where we started the conversation up until that moment when we, when we started having this other conversation, the whole time, Ariella was jabber, 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 jabber. She was off camera. She was over here, but she was just... And after 15 minutes of that, Chris and I just got tickled because we're like, man, does this woman ever stop? I mean, it was impressive the way she was going, right? And then they started chuckling. Because they say, well, welcome to our world. That's the way we are. That's the way it is around here all the time. Now, mind you, uh, she was talking, but I don't know exactly what she was saying. I was catching about every fourth or fifth word. But, man, she was busy explaining it to everybody in the room. And, and they, they laughed, and they, they said, you know, it gets worse when it's time to go to bed. <laughs> because she, she, in her little mind, has decided that as long as she's talking, she's not asleep. So she just works even harder to talk and talk and talk when it's time to go to bed. And they said, finally, when she's laying in bed, she's still trying to talk. And finally, at some point, she just gives up and goes, bam, she's gone. And then they said, in the morning when she wakes up, it starts all over again. <laughs> How fun is that, huh? We would say that for a little girl like Ariella, her refusal to stop and rest and get some sleep is a sign of immaturity. But as an adult, what's your excuse? The Bible says we're supposed to have a day of rest, 
we're supposed to stop. We're supposed to give our lives a place to rest and rejuvenate. Either we're taking it seriously or we're being immature as followers of Jesus by not making time to rest. Most of you know that today is St. Patrick's Day, and, and I see a lot of you wearing your green today in honor of St. Patrick. One of the things that I know about St. Patrick is that uh, he's a rather fascinating guy if you haven't looked into him much. Uh, St. Patrick was born in what is known as Roman Britain in, in the mid-4th century. It's called Roman Britain because he was born in Britain, but it was occupied by the Romans at the time that he was born. And he was raised in a fairly well-to-do family. His grandfather was a priest in the church. His dad was a deacon in the church. Uh, they were kind of high-cotton people. But Patrick had not accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord. When he was 16, when Patrick was 16, he was kidnapped. And he was taken uh, to Ireland, to the north, and he was made a slave. And his role, his job as a slave was to be what? Guess what? A shepherd. For six years, he was a shepherd. And it was during his shepherding days that he came face to face with God and finally accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And after six years, one day he had a vision from God. And the vision was that it was time for him to get out of slavery that he should go to the coast, there he will find a boat, get on the boat, it will take you back home. And so he dropped what he was doing, he, he, he headed to the coast, and guess what was there when he got to the coast? There was a boat, and he got on the boat, and he left, and he went back to England, and he found his family, and this big happy family reunion took place, and he began to pick up where his grandfather left off, studying to be a priest, became a priest. And eventually in his life, he was convicted by God that what he needed to do with his life was to go back to Ireland because the Irish people were pagans. They were following after all kinds of other things except God, and he was convicted that they needed God. And so he went back to England and spent the remainder of his days there. And, and, and part of what you need to hear about this is we celebrate St. Patrick's Day. And, and for some people, it's an excuse to get drunk or whatever. But let's understand that St. Patrick is revered in Ireland because he brought Jesus Christ to people's lives. He helped people learn about the power of Jesus Christ. The interesting thing that I want you to catch, though, about him especially is this. Did you hear what I said about the fact that it wasn't until he became a shepherd that he found Jesus? I, I'm convicted that the reason he found Jesus while he was a shepherd was he was forced to rest. He had to grapple with himself. He had to deal with his own issues, his own stuff. And in the unveiling of that stuff, he realized his desperation, how desperately he needed God. And he became a follower of God through Jesus Christ. He rested. How about you? It's time to push back on the busyness, don't you think? And, and, and don't just agree with me today that, that it's time to push back. I want to invite you, I want to challenge you to do something about it. To make a decision right here, right now, that when you leave here, you're going to make this shift in your life because you realize you, you're too busy and you've got to restructure things. Let's uh, show that passage up one more time back there, would you guys? Psalm 23, verse 2, read it with me. He makes me lie down in green pastures. 
He leads me beside quiet waters. Rest. Rest, rest, rest. Let's pray. God, how thankful we are that you are a loving shepherd, that you love us in the midst of our own chaos, that you love us when we decide that we're going to be boss and put you on a shelf, that you love us when we make those decisions that we know are wrong, and you love us anyway. God, you are a faithful shepherd. You know how to lead us. Help us to push aside the busyness and make room for the rest that comes from you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we're going to sing, and um, as we sing, I want to invite you, if you had not made a decision to become a follower of Jesus Christ before, to make that decision, it is, don't miss this. Don't miss this. Of all the stuff you've heard today, of all the stuff that I might say or we might sing about, if you don't know who Jesus Christ is here, you're never going to find a shepherd that will lead you the right way. So make that decision today. You can do it right now. Nobody else has to be aware. In your mind and heart, if you would open your mind and heart to God today and say, God, I invite your son, Jesus Christ, to be the Lord of my life, then you would make a decision for which your life would totally be altered in the most profound and beautiful way. There's no more beautiful life to live than the life lived following Jesus Christ. Amen? So make that decision if you've not done so today. If you have curiosity about that or questions about that, uh, so many of us around here would love to visit with you about that. Uh, make this time as we sing a time, an opportunity for you to do business with God. And if you want to pray with someone, I'll be over here. Uh, we have several prayer partners that are here. Uh, somebody will be over here. I'll be over here. You're welcome to come to the altar railing if you want to get on your knees. Let's stand as we sing together.